0: Well, it is my privilege this morning to introduce to you our um, guest preacher today. Um, He's actually my first pastor, uh, Pastor Dean Olive. He um, is now formerly the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Madison, Alabama. He was the founding pastor of that church back in 1989, 1990, and he has faithfully served there for 32 years, recently retired to pass on the mantle of the shepherding of that church to another brother. And so it's our privilege to have Pastor Dean Olive with us today. Um, I went to Pastor Dean's church. My mom told me from the time I was 18 months old until I was about six. So didn't have the privilege to sit under the the entire breadth of his ministry. But um, in the last number of years, I've had the privilege to listen through um, online media to many of his sermons. And he is a Faithful preacher of God's word, so it's our privilege to have you this morning, brother. Come preach the word for us.
1: It is my pleasure to be here. I've got to have good side vision here. If I calculate, it, it's about 170 degrees around. So uh, it is a joy to be here. I've known uh, Adam and Jared both for quite a number of years. Always had a high regard for their family, and it is a real pleasure to be here in this church, known about you for many, many years, and have often prayed for you in some of the struggles you've gone through, but it's a delight to to see you. Turn in your Bibles with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. That's where we're going to start. We're going to be actually looking at three texts today. I want to preach on the subject, Little Faith. You are familiar with our Lord's frequent rebuke to his disciples, O ye of little faith. Five times in the Gospel of Matthew, mention is made of this thing Jesus referred to as little faith. And we're going to explore three of the texts that are found in Matthew's gospel, to learn what little faith is and some of the situations in life where it is revealed and how we might overcome it. Little faith is, of course, something we don't want to be referred to as we don't want to hear our Lord's rebuke, but how often have we heard it when we have fallen in sin and done those things which we ought not to do or when we come to a great challenge and test in life and we just don't feel up to it. It's as though we can hear those words reverberating in our minds, O ye of little faith. The disciples often heard it And I suspect we are no better than them. And we probably exhibit little faith more often than we do great faith. Here are the three texts. The first one, Matthew 6, verse 30. But if God so closed the grass of the field, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The second text is chapter 8, verse 26. And he said to them, why are you afraid? I think the King James has fearful. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And then the third one is Matthew chapter 14, verse 31. This is Peter walking on the water. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, before we look at these three passages, let's uh, consider what little faith is. It's really simple. It's faith that's little. First and foremost, it is faith. What is faith? Faith is trust. In the Bible, faith is trust. Simple trust in God, in his son, Jesus Christ, in his word. We are saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's the instrumental means through which we are saved. Christ saves us, but the means by which we come to him and receive from him is faith. And we rejoice in that. If salvation was by works, None of us in here would be saved. No one in the world would be saved. If salvation's not by grace through faith, we're all lost and no hope and full of misery. So faith is trusting the Lord. And we're saved through faith. And we are told to live by faith and walk by faith. So faith commences the Christian life and it continues till the end until we go and meet the Lord. But the kind of faith Jesus is talking about here is little faith. Now, please note, Jesus didn't rebuke his disciples and say, oh, ye of no faith. They had faith, but it was in short supply. He's talking about the quantity of faith. Faith admits to many degrees. The Bible speaks of little faith and great faith. Jesus once said to a woman who came to him, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 20 speaks of drawing near to God with full assurance of faith. And that's what we desire, full assurance of faith great faith, but little faith is in the diminutive degree. You kids know the song, don't you? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he? We're talking about wee little bit of faith, not much faith. It's better to have great faith, to have full assurance of faith, And for that we should all strive, but little faith is still faith. John Bunyan said, Little faith is like small candles or weak fire, which though they shine and have heat, they are but dim shining and small heat when compared with bigger candles and greater fire. So little faith is better than no faith. But little faith struggles and has a great many problems. But thankfully, little faith is still faith. A drop of water is as much water as all the water in the ocean. A child one day old is as much a person as an adult who is a 100 years old. A sick man is as much alive as a well man. A match of fire is as much a fire as a forest fire. But it's small. What is important is that we have faith. And thankfully, it isn't the measure of faith that saves. But we will enjoy our salvation more if we have great faith rather than little faith. Spurgeon said, little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Now, according to the three texts that I have read, which we are now going to examine, it, little faith is exhibited in three situations which we often face in life. What is it that produces little faith instead of great faith? And according to Jesus, it is these three things. Worry, fear, and doubt. So we start in chapter 6 where we look at faith and worry, little faith and worry. Now, I want to read this whole section. It starts in verse 25. So follow with me as I read this portion of Scripture. Therefore, this is the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of it. And Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't worry. Don't fret. King James, take no thought. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And here comes the text where we have the phrase, little faith. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In this passage, Jesus is discussing the topic of worry with His disciples. And he starts out by saying, do not be anxious about your life. Being anxious, worrying, fretting about your necessary provisions reveals little faith. Worry sucks the stamina out of faith. Worry is a sign that we're trusting ourselves and not the Lord. This word translated anxious is used six times in this passage. Verse 25, 27, 28, 31, and twice in verse 34. means to have anxious concern based on some danger, some misfortune, something that might happen. And so we worry, we fret. And the things we most worry about are mentioned in this passage. Food, drink, clothing, tomorrow. And yet, true life transcends these things. And if we look at these things instead of Christ, our hearts are always going to be weak. Three times in this passage, Jesus forbids us to worry. Verse 25. 31 and 34. Do not be anxious. And he gives illustrations how God will take care of us. He talks about the birds of the air and our lifespan, even the plants, the lilies of the field. And Jesus in this passage shows us that worry is unnecessary. That it's unproductive, even inexcusable. Christians ought not to worry. We ought not worry because to worry is sin. To worry is not to trust. It brings unbelief into our lives, at least about certain things. John MacArthur says, The Christian who worries is really saying, God, I know you mean well by what you say, but I'm not sure you can pull it off. He goes on to say, anxiety is blatant distrust of the power and love of God. So it's sin to worry. It's pointless to worry. In whom do we have faith? In God. In Christ, His Son. What can God not do? Does God care for us? I love that passage, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, where we are bid to cast all our cares, all our anxieties, all our worries on Him. Why? Because He cares. Different word. Because He cares for us. So He cares for us. And He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to His power that works in us. And since he has promised to help us, he is able to help us. And we shouldn't worry. Are you familiar with Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, where Paul said, Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. But in everything by prayer and prayer, And supplication, let your request be made known to God. A panel of doctors who performed a study once declared that 40% of our worries are over things that will never happen. 30% of our worries are over things in the past. 22% are over petty trifles. And only 8% are over things of real consequence. So worry is going to detract us from a life of devotion and service and commitment and usefulness to Christ Jesus our Lord. I got to hear Vance Havner Preach many, many years ago. If you don't know that preacher, that's a name worth getting to know. He said this, We sing sweet hour of prayer and content ourselves with a few minutes of prayer. We sing onward Christian soldiers and wait to be pushed into the Lord's service. We sing, Bless be the tie that binds and then let the least little offense sever it. We sing, serve the Lord with gladness and then gripe about all the things we have to do. We sing, I love to tell the story and never mention Jesus to our friends and associates. And we sing, cast thy burden on the Lord and worry ourselves into a nervous breakdown. Worry, worry, worry. That's a picture of many a saint. Is that true of you? Are you a worrywart? Do you worry yourself sick? I think it's a favorite pastime of some Christians just to worry so they can complain and moan. And groan, all that goes together, doesn't it? But worry will harm us. Corey Tin Boone once said Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows, it empties today of its strength. We must be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. We're called to trust the Lord. And put our faith and confidence in Him. We are to rest in Him. The antidote to worry is faith. The remedy is to seek, and this is in this context of Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things which we worry about the food, the clothing, what's gonna happen tomorrow, our lifespan. Don't worry about that. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. God will take care of us. So the lesson here in this passage where we find those that first occasion when Jesus rebuked his disciples, "Oh you of little faith," is found in the context of worry. But let's move on to our second passage, and that's Matthew chapter 8. And we find those words in verse 26. Why are you afraid? Why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. But let me read from verse 23 to verse 27. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, And the men marvel, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Matthew is recording an event here with Jesus in the boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And a storm rose quickly, suddenly, in their journey as you probably know the Sea of Galilee is noted for its sudden violent storms that body of water is like a basin it's 700 feet below sea level it is surrounded by high mountains and cold air would come rushing down on the lake and collide with the hot air producing these massive storms Well, a storm happened on this particular journey. Verse 24, it's called a great storm. So the waves were swamping the boat. And if something wasn't done quickly, the boat would be at the bottom of the sea. Where was Jesus during the storm? He was in the stern of the boat, fast asleep we wonder how someone might be asleep in the midst of a storm like this. But he was asleep. He was asleep because he wasn't afraid. But the disciples were afraid. And so they woke him up and they said, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. Now at least four of these men were expert sailors. Fishermen accustomed to catching fish on the Sea of Galilee, but they're helpless in this storm, and so they sought help from the Lord. And the first thing Jesus did was to ask them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? When the water swamped the boat, fear swamped their faith. Their faith shrunk. It became small when fear took over, and they were not able to cope in this desperate situation. Their faith wasn't lost, but it was low. And being little faith, it wasn't sufficient to deal with a situation like this. And so Jesus used this, as he always did, as a teaching occasion. And after he rebuked them for having little faith... He calmed the sea. We read that he rose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Note, between the great storm, which is mentioned in verse 24, and the great calm, which is mentioned at the end of verse 25, there was little faith. And so in the midst of their fear Jesus demonstrated his authority his power over the elements so that their faith might grow strong and become great. Let's take note that they were fearful over something that Jesus was in control of. The storm. And sadly their faith in Him dwindled, and so they were filled with fear. Their faith dwindled in spite of all the many things that they had seen Jesus do prior to this. We have no reason to fear, do we? Because God is in control. God is sovereign, so why be afraid? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, faith is a refusal to panic. So don't be fearful. Trust the Lord, even when it seems He may have abandoned you. Trust Him. That's what He calls us to do, to trust Him fully. And this is a message that permeates the Bible. Think of these verses. Fear not. Stand firm. And you will see the salvation of the Lord. I will fear no evil, for thou with me the Lord is on my side I will not fear fear not for I am with you be not dismayed I am your God from beginning to end the Bible calls us to have faith in God be not afraid but fear wipes out faith Now, if we walk with Jesus, we're going to go through storms. But faith instead of fear should fill our hearts for we are always under His watchful care, His loving care. We're always in need of faith. But our faith will be greater if we keep our eye focused on Him whom our souls adore. You know this hymn, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Why do you worry, O you of little faith? but there's one more passage for us to learn uh, look to and learn from and that's Matthew chapter 14 and the verse here is verse 31 Jesus immediately reached out his hand took hold of him saying to him oh you have little faith why did you doubt But let's go back and let me read beginning at verse 22 so we can set this in its context Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now, the passage we just looked at in chapter 8, Jesus was in the boat with them. He's not in the boat with them at this time. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land beaten by the waves for the wind was against them that doesn't say it's a great storm it's a not like the other storm now they had fear here but it wasn't because of the storm in the fourth watch of the night that's early in the morning he came to them Jesus came to his disciples walking on the sea do you believe that you believe Jesus walked on the water Says he does, doesn't it? We do. We believe that. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, now here's where the fear comes in. They were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So they're afraid, not afraid this time of the storm, but afraid of what their eyes see. This apparition, this uh, who's walking on the water? It's a ghost. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying take heart it is I they would have recognized his voice wouldn't they take heart it is I do not be afraid so he's calming their fear and Peter answered him brash forward Peter Lord if it is you command me to come to you on the water he said come So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Fear again. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I like short prayers, and boy, there's a short one, isn't it? Of course, if you're sinking in the water, you don't have time for a five minute prayer, do you? Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out his hand took hold of him saying to him oh you of little faith why did you doubt and when they got into the boat the wind ceased and those in the boat worshipped him five times in the gospel of Matthew we read that the disciples worshipped Jesus you know what that means it means he's God doesn't it because we're not supposed to worship anybody other than God he's God come in the flesh Share that with your Jehovah's Witnesses, friends, if you have any or if they come to your door. Five times in the Gospel of Matthew, they worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Two unusual miracles occur in this passage of Scripture. The first is Jesus walked on the water. The second is Peter walked on the water. The laws of gravitation were suspended momentarily and they both walked on the water as if it were dry ground. how these two miracles come about? It occurs after the feeding of the 5,000. We saw where Jesus dismissed the crowds, put his disciples in a boat. They were returning to Capernaum and then he went alone on the mountain to pray. and While he was praying the wind began to blow fiercely No mention is made that they were afraid of the storm. They were afraid of, when they saw Jesus, they didn't know who he was. They thought it was a ghost walking on the water. But there was a storm, and they weren't able to make much progress. The wind was against them. And so during the fourth watch of the night, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., somewhere in there, Jesus came to them. They'd been rowing for a long time and gotten nowhere. Of course, Jesus had been with his disciples, as I said before, in the boat, Matthew chapter 8. But he's not with them this time. But he came to them. And how he came to them was miraculous. He walked on the water. Now, that's a miracle that's denied by many. They say Jesus walking on the water is a metaphor, like they used to say about Bear Bryant. Oh, he walked on water. That's metaphorical, of course. He won a lot of ball games, was a good coach. And he was so successful, that's how they worded it. This is not a metaphor here. This is not a myth. This is not legend. The text says Jesus walked on the sea. And the reason so many people reject this miracle is because they really deny that miracles are possible. And of course, miracles can't happen if there's no God. But if there's a God who by the word of His mouth created all that's in the world, all that we see, all that exists, well, of course, He can walk on water. There's a Scottish commentator by the name of William Barclay I liked his commentaries when I first began in the ministry and soon found out they weren't having. They weren't worth having. He denied many of the miracles. Um, I, I remember reading, I believe it's Matthew 17, where Jesus sent Simon to catch a fish and he said, you'll find a coin in his mouth and you take that coin and go pay the tax. And Barclay says, Oh no, he caught a fish and went to the market and sold it and took the money, paid the tax. But the Bible says he caught a fish with a coin in his mouth. And the Bible says Jesus walked on the water. And so the disciples were frightened. Not because of the storm, they were frightened because they thought they were seeing a ghost. And oh, how wonderful of Jesus! Immediately, he spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then the rest of the story here focuses on Peter's request. He asked Jesus to give him permission to walk on the water. Would you agree with me that that was a daring moment of great faith? Lord, bid me to come to you. Now, Peter knew that he must have the Lord's permission. The ESV has commanded me to come to you on the water. And Jesus told him to come. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water. I say to you, dear friends, that's faith. That's great faith. The water held him up. Peter believed the word of the Lord And he was held up walking on the water without sinking. How would that happen? Jesus bid him to come. And in faith, he came. He exercised faith in the Lord's command. And there was power for him to defy gravity and walk on water. He had great faith. Now, how far do you think Peter walked on the water? Doesn't say, does it? But he got close. He got real close. But something happened. He began to think about the wind and the sea, and doubts filled his mind. Look at verse 30. But when he saw the wind, who had he been looking at? Jesus. And then he took his eyes off of Jesus. He saw the wind. He was afraid. And beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Why did he sink? It wasn't because he got out of the boat. It was because he took his eyes off Jesus. He shifted his attention from Jesus to the storm. Doubt entered his mind. He hesitated. He wavered. You know what doubt is. It's when you're confident about something, then all of a sudden your mind's filled with uncertainty. Ooh. Ooh. I don't know if that's true or not. You lose your conviction about something. You begin to question things. Disbelief comes in. And that's what happened to Peter. His faith was strong when he got out of the boat, but then doubt arose. And Jesus, of course, reached down and took hold of Peter, lifted him up out of the water, and then said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's like you made it. You almost made it the whole way. Ever how far the distance was. He was close enough where Jesus could pick him up. Almost made it the whole way. Great faith. And in that last moment, doubt. Where do you think doubt comes from? Well, there's a devil that walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and boy, he entertains in our minds, puts notions there, and their doubts there, and we begin to battle: Shall I believe the Lord, or do I? Am I going to be afraid and doubt what the Lord says is true? His faith had been diminished to small degree; it shrunk because he doubted. Again, he's not empty of faith. But what faith he had shriveled up and became little faith. All because he doubted. But it was foolish for him to doubt. He was walking on the water. Jesus was in sight. The storm didn't get any worse. And I promise you, Jesus didn't move. But he ceased to look at Jesus and faith gave way doubt. We've seen three occasions where Jesus rebuked his disciples for little faith. What revealed their little faith? They were overcome with worry, fear and doubt. And because they entertained those things their faith was diminished. Their faith decreased. Brethren, we are so much like them. We are weak. We struggle. We worry. We're afraid. We have doubts. But let us not be like them. Jesus taught the disciples on other occasions that faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. Nothing is impossible for God's people when their faith is firmly planted in Him. Faith makes things possible that are utterly beyond human capability. Now, that doesn't mean God gives us a blank check to do whatever we want to do. Don't listen to the faith healers. Don't listen to Ernest Angsley and all of that bunch that you might see on television. But know this, we can do anything that God has given us the authority to do by the simple exercise of faith. One of John Bunyan's interesting characters in Pilgrim's Progress has the name Little Faith. He Bunyan puts him next to someone called Turnaway and away was not a real Christian, but Little Faith was, but he was a weak Christian. Little Faith is the picture of the Christian who fails to be alert and watchful as one who's allured away by the world, falls under the traps and the influences of Satan. In Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he gave Little Faith three great enemies. He named them faint heart, mistrust, and guilt. In his journey, little faith, little faith loses courage to faint heart. He is robbed by mistrust, and he's clubbed nearly to death by guilt. But little faith was never abandoned by his king. Bunyan says his jewels were safe because his king were great, was greater than all of his enemies. And he found victory and comfort and solace in his great king. And so the gates of heaven opened to little faith, though he struggled to have what Bunyan called good confidence and great grace. The story of little faith is the story of many Christians. It's it's the story of some of you here today, I'm sure. It's been part of my story for most of my life. You know how we wrestle along the way with situations that call for great faith but we fail, we just can't handle it. We have little faith. Just like these passages of Scripture that we've examined in the Gospel of Matthew, our little faith is revealed because we worry, because we're afraid, and because we doubt. Oh, we need great faith. And to have great faith, our confidence must remain exclusively in Jesus Christ. You can't trust me. You can't trust other people's fully, like you trust the Lord. We must trust Him. Spurgeon said, little faith will save a man, but little faith cannot do great things for God. Spurgeon read Pilgrim's Progress, where I'm getting this illustration about little faith from, over a hundred times. He died when he was 59. Think about that. That's how important Pilgrim's Progress was to him. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, I would encourage you to do so. But in speaking about little faith that Bunyan brought to life on the pages of his Pilgrim's Progress. Spurgeon said this, Poor little faith could not have fought Apollyon. It needed a Christian to do that. Poor little faith could not have slain giant despair. It required great heart's arm to knock that monster down. The older we get the more we tend to look back over our lives and make judgment about things that we wish we could have done differently. I've been able to reflect on that these last four weeks since I stepped down as pastor of Grace Baptist Church. Some apprehension, some worry, some fear, some doubt. And you start looking over your life. Oh, I... Wish I couldn't have done this. I wished I had have done this. I mean I wish I could go back to grade school and learn how to write better. I've got the lousiest looking handwriting. I could I could have been a medical doctor. My handwriting is so bad. But you know we start looking at our lives and wish we would have done some things differently. Jonathan Edwards, when he was young, began to write some resolutions. And here's one of them. It's number 52. He would add to his list. I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolved that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done. Supposing I live to old age. Some of you may be familiar with Paige Patterson. He used to be president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Fine man. I think he got a a raw deal, a rough deal by some people in the convention. But I read his testimony once, and he was in the thick of the battle during those days, the battle for the Bible, 1979, 1980. Adrian Rogers got elected to the convention. There was this conservative resurgence. I I remember those days. And, And Paige Patterson said, I almost despaired that there were others to encourage me and pick me up. But then he said this, I wished I could have had greater faith. If we go through life as little faithers, we'll have regrets in our old age. So let's exhibit great faith now so we'll not have to regret it then. And I beseech you, dear brethren, as I beseech myself, have faith in God Not little faith, but great faith. Away with the doubts about yesterday. Away with fear about today. Away with worry about tomorrow. And let us cry unto the Lord as one man did. Increase our faith. Let me close with these stanzas from a wonderful hymn. Oh, for a faith that will not shrink, though pressed by every foe, that will not tremble on the brink of any earthly woe, that will not murmur nor complain beneath the chastening rod, but in the hour of grief or pain will lean upon its God, a faith that shines more bright and clean when tempests rage about, that when in danger, knows no fear, in darkness, feels no doubt. Lord, give me such a faith as this, and then whatever may come, I'll taste even now the hallowed bliss of an eternal home. Let's bow in prayer. Almighty God, I pray for those who are in this place today who have no faith. They're lost. They're without Christ. They're without salvation. They're in their sins. And they need to be saved. They need to turn from their sins to Jesus Christ who holds out the promise of salvation. And what a sweet blessing that is. To come by faith to Jesus Christ, receive the gift of eternal life, to be saved from sin, And I pray that you might touch their hearts, bring them out of the no-faith land into that land where people live by faith. But I turn my prayer now and ask you to bless those who know you, who profess Christ, who believe in their hearts. We're often like the man who said, I believe, help my unbelief. We've all been there before. And so as life happens day by day, things take place and we worry. Things happen that make us afraid. Things turn in such a way that it causes us to doubt. May we put those things aside and look unto Christ who's at the right hand of God. Help us to seek those things which are above, not all the things on the earth, and make our faith strong. We don't want to have little faith. We want to have great faith. And may it be true for this church and for the people who are members of this body of believers. Give them great faith. Whatever the future holds, may they not worry, be afraid, or doubt. May they be confident in you and your promises, knowing that you care for them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.